agronomist by trade is going to be a science nerd. They have to be a little bit of a social butterfly too. Well, you can't be so socially awkward that you can't communicate what you're finding. We struggled with that in the past. You have a really good individualist agronomist that can't relate that information to the producer, and they have to be able to do that. If they can't let their team know what needs to be done, that's just not going to help. That's just not going to work. They have to be able to relay that information to that person. Welcome to the Growing the Future podcast, where our future is always bigger than our past. Being in the business of growing food for the world is a massive challenge, not for the faint of heart. Join us, the Aberhart Brothers, as we talk to progressive folks who like to innovate, collaborate, transform the agricultural landscape. If you want to cultivate a growth mindset in agriculture, then let's get growing our future together. Hey now, it's Danny Eberhardt here, today's host of the Growing the Future podcast, where we talk to folks who like to innovate, collaborate, and transform the agricultural industry. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 19. Get notified about our new episodes by signing up for our newsletter at growingthefuturepodcast.ca. Listen to all of our past episodes there. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok now for additional content. And watch the video of this conversation on YouTube. Find the Aberhart family of companies online, starting with aberhartfarms.com, where we grow food to feed the world in Landsberg, Saskatchewan. Suregrowth.ca, where we offer precision agronomy consulting services. Convergencegrowth.com, where we accelerate solutions across food, health, and agriculture. And aberhartagsolutions.ca, where we deliver one-of-a-kind fertility solutions of the future to your farm. Find the links to everything I just mentioned in the episode notes. My next guest has over 30 years in assisting and coaching producers with their crop production and nutrient challenges and opportunities. He's a branch manager with 406 Agronomy Havre, Montana. I hope I did that justice. Havre, Montana, you can tell me if I'm speaking the language or not culturally. (laughs) (laughs) You're awfully close. I tell the kids it's not Havre, but Havre, Montana. Yep. Have Havre and have nots. That's <laughs> <Yes>, right. <laughs> There's a have reason have nots. He is the host of their own podcast, Grow 406. And recently they had their fifth annual 406 Agronomy Summit, which we're going to recap and hear some of the highlights from Lance today. So I'm always excited to talk to agronomists. I think this is one of the more I don't know, there's all kinds of descriptive words for it, but one of the more interesting facets of our of our industry is the folks that help producers grow more. And today I want to talk about 406 as a company and, and Lance, your experience as an agronomist, some of what you guys are dealing with in, in Montana and where you see things going. We'll talk agronomy. And yeah, I want to recap this agronomy summit, which I wish I'd been able to attend, but unfortunately I was in... Mexico. So you can't hold me too responsible. I mean, just couldn't, couldn't make that happen. But we also want to discuss a passion of yours too, Lance, fitness, health, and, and agriculture. So I think it's going to be a great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on. Welcome to the show, Lance Lindblom. Well, I appreciate you having me on. I just, I wanted to make sure I heard this from you. You picked Mexico over Haver, Montana. Did I hear that right? correctly on? Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. mean, take me to task. <laughs> I mean, I, I totally get it. I should have been there. I could have done it virtually from the beach, but we'll let this one the, slide. the wind, yeah, the wind and the waves, it was just too much. I just had to, but honestly, I saw your lineup and of course there's a lot of mutual connections between us. And you were telling me before we got live here that that's a holdover 
from the Agritrend days, a lot of the content and the folks and the learning and the, the style. So I'm really interested, Lance. I know a little bit about you and your agronomy organization, having worked with you on Biosol and a few webinars and getting your take on, on our fertility products in Montana. But tell us a little bit about yourself and 406 in your journey as an agronomist and 406 journey as a company. You bet. And I think to help understand what we're doing with our agronomy summit, it goes back to our structure in with our 406 agronomy as our agronomy division. So we took the model that Rob Syke used with Agritrend years ago and the, the idea of agronomy coaching. So that first, when I first heard the agronomy coaching, that first couple of years, it was just hard to get that over in my head. I knew how I was thinking about it, how it how it made my head, just, just being able to go out there and talk about it and what that meant and how that was different. So if you think about agronomy coaching and what that difference is, we work with producers and it's not just usually a one-off, it's usually a, throughout the year, throughout the years, we have producers that we're working with, we've been working with for eight years now. So it's not just a one-time, usually a relationship, it's a long-term. So it's, it's helping them grow on the same as we grow. So no different than any other type of coaching. So a, a coach is to help an individual or their, their team grow. It's not always encouragement. Sometimes you've got to be kind of strict and, and kind of push them and you have to know what their boundaries are, what they can and what, they, what they're not ready to do. Probably the perfect example of that would be like when we're, we're introducing producers into like variable rates, their first, first time on trying a prescription. Now they might get super excited, let's do full farm during seeding. And you just go, well, well we, we, want, we want to start. We want to learn how to walk before we're running here. So that, that ability to get them the confidence on, let's say, let's, instead of starting seeding, let's try it with a floater or with a, with a sprayer. Let's try something that we have a high chances, high probability, not chances, it's just probabilities of being successful, such as with a, with a sprayer, we have a little more time where we can get you more familiar with equipment and what's going on. So part of that coaching is that trying to see where they're at and, and keep moving them up on that on that ladder. And I think Elson Solberg, he just nails it when he says, where are you at? We're trying to get we're trying to get people into the stadium. Whereabouts in that stadium is going to be defined later on. So first of all, we want to get them in the stadium on that field. And then down the road, we just keep tweaking as we go. So, but the same concept is too that we are we are learning as agronomists too. I mean, our field is always changing. And so the Agronomy Summit, if you want to put it back into sports talk, Agronomy Summit is our basketball camp, so to speak. So it's a basketball is not my favorite sport. All the coaches here will tell you I just smack talk basketball all the time. <laughs> but b-ball camp is what, what our summit is. And our first goal is to get our producers that we're working with there, along with the coaches, for some high-level training. So that's our main goal to start out with is to make sure that our our coaches are there and our and the producers that we're working with. So the second level is we want to bring more players in. We want more players that possibly down the road will be 406 clients. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. Doesn't irregardless, we want them in there for that 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 camp or that training, so to speak. So they can grow and learn. It's a we're all in the same village. It's a huge field out there in agronomy and agriculture. And if they're growing and learning too, that's a win for us. Maybe they aren't our clients down the road, but maybe they're a producer that's next to one of our clients. And maybe we're talking about whether it's wheat streak or some type of a disease that they're learning a better handle on and control. 
that they're actually helping our producer by helping their operation too. So there's lots of ways that that can really, really benefit the, the producers that we work with too, and just the producers in general. And probably that third group that we're looking at on our summit is, is the industry. We, we work with a lot. We don't sell crop protection, but we work with just about every crop protection company out there. So having them there and learning and just networking. And to a certain degree, this sounds maybe kind of a little bit funny, but even our competition being there is okay. Our competitions, like I said, this is a very dynamic field that we're in. Sometimes our competition is outside our area. Sometimes there are competitions in our area. And hey, let's just face it, I'd love for them not to be our competition someday and them working with us. And even if they're not working directly with us, we've had some great collaboration with people outside where they've been full when they've had people come our way. So we haven't had a, a group that was fairly competitive with us that was in our area. And when they moved out, they actually had their clients and other employees and potential employees come to 406 Agronomy. So I thought that was just, that was awesome. That camaraderie, that professionalism in our industry is pretty cool. So those are kind of the, the things that we're focusing on on our summit. Isn't the big competition for agronomists the untreated acre? Exactly. Yep. There's lots, there's millions and millions of acres in Montana. So what is the difference between a producer that's deploying and collaborating with folks like yourself and those that are not? And why, why do you think not everyone is using an agronomist? Because yeah, they're, they're just going to, you know, they're going a hundred different directions. So sometimes it is, they, they feel like they can, that, that they're where they're at is fine. Sometimes they're not aware of where that agronomist, where they can source that agronomist either. So a little bit different than what, what we do is it, it's, we tie everything in together. So we start things out even before we poke a hole for soil sampling or pull a tissue sample is crop planning. And that crop planning looks at where they're wanting to go on their rotations. What are they comfortable? That's part of that coaching. They may want to do five or six different crops, but can we do it? Can we really do that? Can we manage that many crops? So there's a lot of pieces in that in just the planning process before you start doing anything and kind of knowing, having some goals set out, wh which direction we want to go. And there's just a lot of pieces to it. The best example I saw of this was your little brother. When he drew that kind of that flow chart, I asked Terry, I said, can I use that in a PowerPoint? And it just was awesome to, to show all the different, on your guys' operation, all the different things that are going through what's going on. There's just so many, many pieces to that puzzle. And that old cliche that farmers and their coveralls with their pitchforks, no, see, they're more like CEOs, a multi-million dollar company that has a lot of different entities that's going on. So sometimes agronomy is like, okay, I think we're going to do this and we're fine. And it's the ones that understand that they need help with what, what we're targeting, the, the people that we work with that understand that they're also working with individuals, lawyers and accountants, bankers. They have coaching on different, their marketing, different pieces other than just agronomy. Where do you start out with folks and then where do you end up with them in the stadium, so to speak? Everybody starts different and they all have different strengths. So the DOS, dangers, opportunities and strengths, where they're at. We have individuals that just are really, really, really strong. They love scouting. They love to be out in the field. That's great. So that's somewhere where we can back off and we can kind of mentor or help and kind of poke where we can on that. So, but maybe they, uh, they just hate soil sampling. They hate the nutrient part of it. And that's where we really focus. We have some that are completely, we do everything from start to finish and we're, they're in that, that process, but they're not going to 
they're just they're going 100 different directions they're not going to be involved in that and they have us do that too so every time we go out there and say well what does it cost or what do you guys do it's like it's all different i don't think we have two contracts that are the same i'm wondering what does it take to be an agronomist and by that i mean what are the personality traits or the things you have to work at or what makes a great agronomist someone who sells their opinion their advice for money because the funny part is i always find agronomists say oh i'm not a salesman i can never be a salesperson you're selling yourself you're selling the fact that year over year you're going to help a person make the right decisions what does it take to be an agronomist that's the key you know the difference between an agronomist and agronomist that's selling himself like say agronomy coach so if you're an agronomy coach you ultimately have to sell what you're doing so you have to sell yourself so agronomist by trade is going to be a, a science nerd. So they're going to be out looking at, we call ourselves the bug sticks and dirt crew. And that's what we do. We're always in, that's where we live. That's our realm. Well, you can't be so socially awkward that you can't communicate what you're finding. And we actually had that. We struggled that with that in the past. You have a really good individualist and agronomist that can't relate that information to the producer. And they have to be able to do that. So they have to be a good communicator. They have to be a little bit of a social butterfly too. They have to be out there and like a coach. If you, you're a coach on a team, you know, something that's not going right or you need to, you need to do layups. God, I'm going back to basketball. We should talk <laughs> about football or something. If they can't let their team know what there needs to be done, that's just not going to help. That's just not going to work. They have to be able to relay that information to that person. Interesting. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved with agronomy. You said you used to be a producer. You benefit from coming from the farm. Is that, is that fair to say, having a farm background? I spent years as chasing cows, believe it or not, my background. Oh, really? And education-wise, uh, as Montana State University, I've got a degree in animal science. And since I couldn't figure out what I was doing, I also got a degree in range management. So I got a lot of, <laughs> lot of science-y stuff in the background. But yeah, I spent about 20 years of my life more on that kind of the, the cow chasing. Spent 10 of that in north central Nebraska. That's why every once in a while you heard Nebraska thrown in there. That's age and concussions that kind of mix things <laughs> up as we go down there, down the road. So, so yeah, I yeah. spent quite a few years as a producer on the ground. So I'm plant plant nerd. And I love seeing things grow, and whether it's pastures or hay ground or crops, row crops, or even forestry. So, what does 406 look like as far as an organization? You guys have multiple locations over Montana. Right now, we are focused in, in Haver. Our whole crew is here. So we have okay. a 10 or 10. It's a four. <laughs> four person. Our, our group is, consists of four individuals. We got five agronomists. Okay. Throwing numbers all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of statistics here coming at you hard and fast. Yeah. Click, click, click. We can cut a bunch can of Can you name them all there. in their uh, data first? Yeah, I could name them all, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So we have six individuals here. <laughs> Five agronomists and then Fernanda, who does everything. She's she's basically on the sciencey nerdy part of this, this too, but we've moved her over to the data management and more promotional side, which we really needed a lot of help on. So yeah, we have five agronomists. We cover we cover a big footprint. We go about two and a half hours each direction from Haver. Love to drive. What have you guys been dealing with, guys and gals been dealing with in the last couple of years in Montana as far as biggest concerns in, in your agronomy coaching business with your clients? Mother nature has just been wicked the last couple of years. I mean, three, I think it's a little over three years ago, we, we started the spring out 
could have been four. I, again, numbers are on me here a little bit. So we started <laughs> out with a very cold, wet. We had uh, unseasonable. We had un. It just wasn't. We never see this kind of much moisture. We saw much, so much flooding. We went from that and it just shut off, and it, and it shut off for about three years. So I, I remember seeing some of the pictures I threw out on social media. It's like all the flooding, and we couldn't get out until May, and roads were washed out, and blah 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 blah. We have not seen that for a long time, and we have very 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 historical drought in our area the last three seasons. And to top that off with drought, you get these little creatures called grasshoppers that come in. So the dinosaurs of insects. So we've been been hit not only with weather, but we've also hit, been hit some pretty hard with some, some insect pressures too. So drought and hoppers would be our big ones for sure. And then you can throw in soft lies and just, yeah, you name it. It's every year has been something a little bit different. Everything compounds. How is it in your coaching business, when your clients are are challenged like that in a way like you can't you can't make it rain or can you, Lance? Can you make it rain? That would have been a great. It, if you look at the fine print, it's it's a different contract. Yeah, <laughs> it's we can expensive look on one. that one. <laughs> that one costs a little bit more per yeah, acre. A few more than five bucks an acre. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting you say that because you'd think well that'd be harder on our coaching, but it, actually it's it's more demanding on us because every little thing that's that's happening is is much more. You need to be more precise. And even like on just the hoppers themselves, you know, when to spray, when to say, okay, we just, we're too far gone. I mean, I, I think it was two summers ago. All we did was seem like we were sweeping for hoppers. How far are they in the field? What's the threshold? <laughs> What's the stage on? Should we pull the trigger? Is there really anything worth there to pull the trigger? Are we looking for trying to control for next year, which is not very good doing that anyhow. So yeah, it was very, very intensive on when to and when not to. In every year, Santiago, the agronomist, has been with me for over five years now. He says that's, that's the most exciting thing about being an agronomist is this not the same thing every year. And it's definitely not the same thing. A few years back, we had Wheat Street Mosaic. And it's just, again, it's, like it's one thing after another, which is good. Keeps us busy. Where do you focus your risk management in years where you've got no rain? I think part of it is knowing how much can we pull back? Where can we pull back? What crops can we uh, adapt to? Is there better management on some different crops we can use that are a little bit less on the water use, water use efficiencies? So risk management is big, especially when we see the prices on fertility now. A lot of times it's best to put that down with the seed or when we're seeding a year like this, are we better to hold off and see if we actually get moisture? And that's exactly kind of what we saw this fall with winter wheat. We had guys seeding winter wheat, still pretty dry, so, you know, more on a prayer and a hope that we're going to get some rain. But they really pulled back on their fertility, knowing that, hey, if it doesn't rain, there's not going to be a crop. We just don't have any sub-moisture. So kind of assessing what's out there, how far we can pull back, when do we need to start staging that? If we start getting moisture, when do we need to start pulling the trigger and getting out there and, and, and getting those nutrients on? Some things you can pull back and sometimes you can't. There's definitely some nutrients you just can't. We can't get them on like we can with seeding during season. Nitrogen is not one of those. those are, that's one that we can actually, you know, we, can, we can be feeding it before we even see green out this spring. So, Yeah, that's one of the main areas I'm interested in is how do you manage your fertility when the biggest nutrient of all, water, does not come to the table. Yeah, yeah, it makes it tough and fun, but it, it definitely makes it a little bit tough. This year in particular too, is we've had a couple of years of drought. 
So we also have, we have a pretty good storage on some of our nutrients out there too. And so there's some nitrogen that's been left out there for a couple of years, which is nice. Does variable rate come into the equation then at that point? You have a lot of producers using it to great effect even through drought times or tell me about that program. Yeah, most of the producers that we are working with are using variable rate to a certain degree. And for sure on nitrogen, FOSS, it's a little bit debatable in our area because just there's not that big of a swing in FOSS. We can do it. There's not there's not a problem writing prescriptions. So most of the producers we do, do use variable rate. This year has been, again, a little bit different because we're going out with like a 50% rate or something or maybe even less this fall. We're usually not going to variable rate that. We're going to just flat rate it and then our, then our VR will come in the springtime. What is the methodology by which you, you actually apply the variable rate? How do you determine the prescription maps? How do you apply it? What's your methodology? We use power zones. Power zones is our, our, our go-to. We've had been using that for years. And it's basically, we're using layered satellite imagery. And we do go through that imagery to create the zones. Those, those zones better resonate with the producer on what we're seeing out there for what they're seeing on yield. So we do, we have in the past used a little bit of yield maps, tough getting clean yield maps, tough getting clean data a lot of times for us off of combines. We've seen it more reliable if we can pull off imagery and seeing if that's kind of matching what we're seeing on combines. The problem with any type of imagery and zones that you're creating, it's, they're a moving target too. And they're, they're a reflection of the times on, on weather too. So you have variable rate. It's also temporal, which is cross time. And a lot of times we don't even think about that. We think of spatial across the field and even spatial when you go in depth in a field. But we don't also think about it's also in time. So what those imageries looked like last year, the year before last, we're just trying to take the best shot we can on what it would on, would on a typical year. It's typical is not always there. So hopefully that makes sense. So temporal variability is one of the things that we struggle with a lot. It's hard because we know over time those zones change too. Great example of that was I just took a picture on a, after that year I was telling you about was flooding. It immediately got dry. And a, a lentil field that we were looking at, one of the areas that was always, always a red or low producing zone was actually a green. It flipped just because it went into a drought. And now that area was dry, had dried out and actually could farm it and get a crop and wasn't drawing it out. So that's, a, that's an example of temporal where your highest zone in, in the past was the lowest zone just because it was flooded. So temporal can be one that is a struggle. We're talking about time travel here. That's, that's way out there. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the other part of variability that we don't even talk about is the variability of management. So the variability between producers and even in their own, their own business on whether it's the type of equipment they have, there's variability on what equipment also, this, the management styles, the management uh, ability to adapt or not to adapt. So there's a lot of uh, variability in management, too. Can you delve into that? What kind of differences in management do you see out there? A little bit is some of the, I know if on the technology side, we call it, the, I call it the psyche. Do they have this, the psychology to work with technology? So are they ones that if their phone upgrades, are they going to flip out and like not do it? Or, or are they ones that see a a phone upgrade as an opportunity to have new technology. They know it's going to be a, maybe not great to start out with. Or if you're, you're talking with the producer about variable rate and he pulls out his flip phone and you're like, do we have a, another individual <laughs> in your... <laughs> he starts so there, T9 in you and you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a pager. And yeah, yeah. So yeah. 
Th- th- there is. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so there, there is variability in management styles and, and just their ability to, and some of them just can't. Some of them can, like, we know with technology, there's always going to be some, uh, um, there's going to be some trial and error. There's going to be some times that things don't work perfectly. We always look at it like when it's working, it's working really good, it's making up. But there'll be software updates or monitor updates or whatever it is. And some of them just can't handle that. I mean, they're going to go, whether you just... You're, you're just going to go and just go. And then some of it's just an equipment itself, the variability in management. And then that's where as a coach, we come in. It's like, this is a piece of equipment. We're going to utilize that the best we can. But there is differences on, on that too, on what we can achieve, so to speak. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And I was just thinking how you guys are integrated with an equipment dealership. So you have a bit of an advantage in the application of the technology. Is that fair? Yeah, it's, it's, that's a really, that's a really cool for us to be able to see that, to be like, because a lot of agronomists don't have that access. We got equipment all, I mean, don't ask me about it, but we have equipment all <laughs> over the place. And yeah. we have the ability to, yeah, we can bounce off and we can, we can, we can see the different equipment. We can talk to technicians and get there like, okay, why didn't this load or what's going on? So yeah, 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 for sure. What is the biggest technology that you're most excited about coming to the farm on a large scale next, Lance? Boy, there's just so many of them. Right? Yeah. I mean, it could be three-part, five-part, 15-part question. I'm super excited on the analytical side and what we're seeing on some real-time sensor or scanners. So we've been dabbling pretty hard with the ATP Nutri-Scanner here for the last year. We're really comfortable with what we're seeing, the results. I just, where this is going is just awesome. I, I still keep pushing all of them when I talk to them, whether it's ATP or Yara, whoever. <laughs> I want that tissue scanner right. that I can use out in the field. I said, that is going to be such a game changer for us to be able to go out there and be able to have real-time nutrient and be able to make decisions instead of waiting two or three days. Plus, it'll just give us, we'll be able to try more areas at the cost-wise. We'll be able to sample, we see a bad area, well, you know what I mean. We can, we can really, really start putting some data points out there. So on the analytics side, I am really, really excited to see that. And as long as we don't, I mean, Marcus Broughton did a great talk on this. I think it was on a podcast I had him with Elston. And he said that we have to look at this technology as not the labs. It's this technology in its own. Right now, where it's too much in our agronomy group falls in the same, same having the same issue is we want to look at the results on a, this type of technology with a wet lab. And they're not. You can't do that. You got to look at them separately. And once we get over that, and we have, we're like, okay, stop that. Stop trying to compare numbers that look at the trends, look at how they're, they're set up, quit looking at them, compare them across from each other. So once we get there, we'll be fine. Can you tell the listener what a Nutri-Scanner is, what it does and how accurate it is now? Super scanner. <laughs> if you wanted to ask me what it does on technology, I couldn't tell you, Dan. So we got people that do that. What I mean is what does it do for you when you put your hands on that? Yeah, what it does for us is it allows us to do, let's say we take our soil samples the same thing we do, same way, same strategy we do, 18 holes, and then but we're able to scan that immediately. For us, we don't scan it out in the field. It takes too much battery. It takes us too much time. We'll take it back to, to the store, to our office, and we can scan it right there. And it takes, I think they're doing, gosh, don't quote me, I think we're doing like 15 an hour or something. So it's pretty quick. You can, you can scan pretty quick. So what it does is it's, and you get instantly, you get the results right then. So it's the same day. If you wanted to, you could get the same day. Compared to if we send it out to a lab, it's going to take, even if we overnight it, it's still going to be five to six days. If you don't overnight, it's probably a week and a half. 
So it, it saves us to being able to do that. It's going to be big time helpful, like when we're in time crunches, like in the spring. Springtime is a lot of times we get to do some last minute soil sampling. It really, really, really time is huge for us then. You can't have two week turnaround time when the drills are ready to go. So there's a window there when we can get out in the field in the springtime. Sometimes, usually, hopefully, it's wet. And that's a little bit different, <laughs> yeah. but there's a really narrow window when we can do that out there and being able to do that, that's, that's going to be, that's going to be big for us. Yeah. And down the road, you can just see this technologies there. Yeah. You can see it scaling. You can see the cost coming down. You see more people getting more data. That's what really excites me about that technology. Yeah. Yeah. We, you were going to say something about Amy there? Yeah, Amy Garner in Kalispell, she's working with an, another company that has these similar technologies. So there's there's quite a few companies. There's a couple of companies working out with, on it. So it's it's really, really cool to see that and hear about that. And yeah, it's there. Well, you can't beat Jarrett Chambers you and can. the team at ATP. Shout out to them. Jarrett's on a yeah. good, good friend and worked with the farm for many years and on our advisory board. And they got some awesome technology. There's also Crystal Labs. They, they had their technology in our booth at AgriTrade recently, and I'm telling you, the amount of questions that we received. Of course, I had to make a, a sales pitch on the fly. It sort of evolved. On, <laughs> it took a, a legs of its own. And people said, what is this? It's an instant soil test. Instant soil test, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know how it does it, but it's very cool. Is there any honorable mentions or runners up on the technology front that you'd want to that you want to mention that you're thinking about? Yeah, I, I think real-time scanners what we're seeing in in field on equipment is going to be that's another another area that's going to be really big we're seeing that right now we tried some this fall and tried or trialed it and very very comfortable with what we're seeing so that's going to be that's going to help take that's going to help answer that question we have talk about temporal variability so if you're able to scan on the go go now we're making prescriptions real time and i think that's something that we've struggled with We've, we've been trying that with in-season, let's say a desiccation on lentils, trying to do, create prescriptions for that using satellite imagery. And that's super tough. I mean, we need it. We're doing that. That's like days. And if we're days or weeks for get to get an image, we're too late. It's changing too quick. We've seen like on our lentils that by the time we go out and desiccate our lentils, there's probably 80% of that field does not need to be desiccated. And it's not just the cost of the paraquat or the desiccant. It is the time. You still have to go over the rest of the field. And the amount of water, we're usually at 15 gallons, 15 to 20 gallons, should be at least 15. And it's it's taken a lot of time. So a lot of time to do that. So the ability that if we could do that on the go is going to be big. It's going to be a, a big on the efficiency on how we do things. I think it opens up some doors so we can become much more precise on our crop protection side of things, what we're doing. Are you seeing any technologies you're hopeful about the ability to scale your scouting, i.e., UCOAG or Intellinair giving you a little bit of a lead on where the bugs are, the disease are, the weeds are? We've looked at them. I haven't seen anything quite yet. That's really? the other area that we're really, really excited about. We've looked at some, I think it's one company called, I think it's Trapview that does that. And it, that's really neat. And it, that's right around the corner too. And in Montana, and probably in your guys' neck of the woods too, large fields. We have anywhere from 600 they go anywhere from 80 to 1,200 acres. And the ability to scout that, whether you need a tool, you need some help. And technology is not going to replace boots on the ground. It's actually going to make those boots on the ground more precise. That shadow is going to be where it should be. And 
We definitely need that. We can put traps out. We can do a lot of things, but that's an area that's just going to be, that's going to really be an enhancement that we see in the agronomy world is being able to have a better idea where this is at, what's going on where. So yeah, excited about that. So we got two analyticals on technology that's coming. That's, that's really, really cool. I love it. I think it's going to help all of you folks do your job better yet and take some of the strain, the back breaking work of getting across those acres and gathering, you know, there'll be things that never will go away, but they'll be made much more efficient by this system of technology. I wanted to get your take on this summit that you had on two different levels. One is you talk about the social skills, the psychology of it as a coach. The other would be the hardcore agronomy. That, that, that's sort of a two-part question. We'll get to that. But I just want to take a moment for a listener to go through some of the headings and some of the folks that you had speak to give listeners a bit of a sense if they're in their semi or their tractor or jogging or whatever they're doing, exactly what you guys went through at the summit and to jog your memory a little bit. So you can give me the highlights when I'm done on both the sentiment of the folks there and the big takeaways from the people interaction, which you said was just as valuable or more than the presentations, but also what were some of the hardcore technical things that you took away? So we're talking about folks like Gabe Brown capitalizing on soil health, Elston Solberg connecting the crop management thoughts, Marcus Brayton, evolution of the four R's. You had got Montana State University talking about the crop disease year you had and what to expect next year. Canola in Montana with Pacific Northwest Canola Association, integrated weed management with the university, talking about Montana soils becoming acidic. That would have been a really interesting one. I know we talk about that a lot in our fertility business, again, from the university. EP, we were just talking about them driving plant nutrient efficiency, Camelina with sustainable oils, regenerative egg in the deserts of Sunburst, Corey Falk. KW Insurance, grain, health, grain hemp production, and the business of agriculture with Damien, navigating success on the farm and ranch with Lance Woodbury, managing your organization through turbulent times with none other than Rob Sake, the founding father of the very agronomy coaching model you espouse, precision at seeding, Phil Korzak, ag biologicals. I want to ask you about that. Borgo fertilizer placement trial results and discussion. Always a hot topic. <laughs> Borgo does some amazing research. We, we know that. Paving the way for profitable sustainability. A dive into precision ag. That is a veritable cornucopia of, of all the buzzwords that, that we know and love in agriculture with the Augmenta. Root Rot with Montana State University, Driving the Future of Ag with Raven Industries. Of course, they got the dot, now the Omnipower. We've seen that work in Alberta. Uh, cultivating connections between farmers and consumers from a podcast, former podcast guest, Michelle Miller, the farm babe. That would have been great. And then, oh yeah, Rhizoterra, Jill Clapperton, an integrated approach to creating healthy, productive dryland soils and, and managing for the maximum. Peter Johnson, Real Agriculture, sponsored by Bassif affectionately we call them in Western Canada. <laughs> Let's start with some of the the social interactions and takeaways. What was the big talk? What are people most interested in? What did you take away from intermingling with industry and academia and of course the producer? For sure, a lot of social butterflying going around. From the producer standpoint, for them to be able to just, just see it's just a different high level of, of these presentations. And What's interesting, about eight years ago, I started with AgriTrend eight years ago. On my first day as an agronomy coach, 
I was up in Saskatoon. And the Farm Forum event is actually what sold me on this whole concept. The whole concept, you could get the presenters there talking about different agronomy topics. And it, it was the whole concept of the agronomy coaching too, the, the science part first. On a nutshell, that's what we're, what we're doing here is we're, we're all these different presenters and there's a whole different topic. So you, you mentioned like the last you got excited about Jill. I don't think a lot of people have heard Jill and she's phenomenal. She's an incredible speaker. I talked to her for about 25 minutes before she went up, the room was empty and we got talking about canola and mustard and intercropping. I was like, wow, she could have done a whole topic on just intercropping, just, just really cool. And just so many different things we were talking about. So that's soil health was, was big. Gabe Brown, Jill, and then Corey put kind of a flare of a Montana flare, what he's, what he's doing here. And I follow him on social media and I know, I know Corey, he just does a great job of putting some practicality of what he's doing here. You dabble in what we had on the equipment side. Curtis does a, a great job on his presentations. I don't know how many of I've seen of his just talking about the agronomy and what they're doing, what he's seen on the agronomy. So, you know, that we had the equipment side, we had the precision side, we had some on just life coaching. Michelle was awesome. Michelle, farm babe, how you can be involved. And I talked with some producers. I wasn't sure how they, I know how I took it. We think it's great what she's doing and how she's doing that. Kind of the promotion. I talked, talked to some producers and how that resonated with them. And they were just like, this is really cool. And they were surprised. They didn't really think that that would be a topic that there would be a lot of interest to them. They liked what she's doing, but like what they could do, but it kind of showed them what they could do, what they can do to promote what they do, just even little tricks on how to better represent yourself. So yeah, and I just got to give a big shout out to Montana State because they, they, you and I were talking about this earlier. A lot of times presentations you can have some very, very, very in-depth or topics that are hard to engage the producers in myself. I will check out very quick. I got a short attention span. And all of them we had at Montana State, super engaging to the audience. Uda, she had a game, she, uh, a rit rot, which, believe it or not, Wheat Pete, he won that. So <laughs> I'm going to have to give him, I got a really good picture of him. He's in the, like the front row. So this is to all the kids in the class, smart ones sit up in the front. So <laughs> Kahoot was the game they were playing and he won that. So I thought that was kind of, he came back from the end. I mean, it was close. It was like the last couple of questions he led there. So they did a really good job of engaging producers on sciencey, very sciencey topics such as acidity. What were some of your big technical takeaways? You mentioned like Marcus's on the, the evolution of the 4R. And it's a conversation I had with him, I think after the other, we had the podcast with Elston. And this is the technology and how, how we even look and think about the 4Rs, how that's changing. So for me, this technology is not just about the big stuff we see on, maybe on the top of a sprayer or on the back of a drill or whatever. This, it's also the stuff that we're seeing on the analytics side of things and how it's going to have to change how we think about how we're doing the 4Rs. And um, so for me, some of the takeaways, and I believe I wasn't able to get to Dan's presentation, but he was going to talk a little bit on the Nutri-Scanner too. Same thing. These are new technologies out there that is going to change how we as agronomists and producers look at how we're, how we're using and engaging analytics. So for me, one of the big takeaways, yes, there's some really cool stuff coming on the equipment side too. Raven is talking about automation, which I just... Super excited about that just because I see how we struggle with labor right now. And there's so many tasks on the farm that I think that we are going to be able to automate. 
my wife's little Honda can go 70 miles an hour down the road and see vehicles in front of it. We can get a sprayer or a tractor to be able to do some some things too, I think. So the conversations we've had with Raven, that, that's really cool. The automation is gonna be really cool here. In the next generation, for sure, they're gonna be seeing that. One thing that I noticed here is that all throughout these presentations, there's a lot of those keywords, those buzzwords, sustainability, precision ag, regenerative ag. On Twitter, I had a producer the other day refer to regenerative ag. He said, let's just call regenerative ag what it is. It's woke, woke ag. <laughs> so you're associating a lot of that with something that may be a little bit far reaching, but I think there's merit in some of that. Of course, it becomes a bit of a turnoff. Where do you stand, Lance, as a hardcore agronomist or agronomy coach, former producer on this whole game of naming something for a host of practices and maybe listening to Gabe Brown, you come away with a different perspective. Like, where are you at on regenerative ag? And Well, first of all, we got to go back to sustainable. Elson has ruined my ever thinking of sustainable. He says, who wants to be sustainable? Really? If you're sustaining, we're not succeeding. We want to be improving, which he's right. So now I can't even think about it. I got like, okay, take sustainable out of there. I got to take it out of there. So thank you, Elston. He just, so. There you go. I like that though. We could call it improving egg. That would be a simple, refreshing. Improving egg. It's sustainable if, if you want yeah, to go. Yeah, I love that. The true definition, we don't want to sustain. If we think that's our goal, then we need to be doing, want to be improving. Yeah, tag words. I mean, I think there's regenerative ag. There's been a lot of people do different parts of it for a long time. So the, the, the ability of tagging names on it, I mean, I think it's great because maybe it engages people outside of agriculture, but I think most people in agriculture know what re regenerative ag is to a certain degree. Are you using it? How many acres in your fold are regenerative that you would consider regenerative? Are you implementing it? I think there's, they're implementing it for, for quite a few years on different degrees and different levels. And there's all different levels. Same with precision. The, the definition of precision for one guy may be that he, he soil sampled one field for the first time in forever. Sure, He's moving sure. in the, the world of, that's a Marcus quote right there. So you look at precision, <laughs> it's yeah. like you have a guy that maybe on 10,000 acres, maybe one quarter of his farm now he's soil sampling and compared to another guy that's doing the whole farm. So there's so different, many different levels. And since we don't have a super strong definition that I'm aware of and regenerative because it, it encompasses, encompasses quite a few different things, I think we have guys that are moving in regenerative ag. They have been for quite some time, whether it's in our area, they've moved in a way from maybe it's not. This area was pretty strong. Just follow, Kim, follow, Kim, follow, follow, Kim, follow. Or they're constantly was going from from wheat to kim follow, wheat to kim follow, wheat to kim follow for generations. And that's changing. So are we are we moving are moving into more regenerative? For sure. They're 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 introducing different crops. They've moved from tillage to, to non-till. They're maybe backing away from as much insecticides that they've used in the past or pesticides or herbicides. So there's there's lots of different degrees. Dan, I just don't it's hard to say how many people are doing it. I think it would be hard to put a number on. I think we've had a breakthrough here today, and that is that anybody can practice constantly improving farming, and it has been getting much better. And sometimes these terms can subtract from from the healthy practices that we're that we're getting more and more into, and most of them are economical, right? Because who hates waste? Who hates pollution? Who hates ruining things that are your livelihood and your real estate and your capital over the generations? I think that's fair, but I, I love that. I just. Man, when I hear it, some people 
responding to terms like that in such a negative way, it, it makes me wonder, like, where did we go wrong? And I don't want regenerative to end up with some of the same negative connotations that organic has, has right. whether it's earned or not. Some people hold it up like a religion and some people would like to burn it to the ground as is, I guess, most things on planet Earth with human beings involved. Isn't that fair yeah. to say? But hey, I want to, before we, before we log off here, man, I want to ask you, you're somebody who I've always admired online and as we've got to interact, you're always putting it out there that you're practicing not only healthy practices for your crops and your customers, but, but for yourself, be it physical or spiritual or whatever, just a positive guy. You've had your own fitness journey, and we talked about it a little bit before the show. Tell us a little bit about, about your journey in, in fitness and what, like, what you'd like to see for folks in agriculture up against kind of specific challenges in staying fit and healthy and happy in agriculture, if you would, Lance. Yeah, I, I think it's a great topic for producers in agriculture in general. And it goes back to, I know I spent many years, as we talked earlier, as a producer. And for, for some reason, in my mindset and many of the, the individuals I was engaging with as a producer, that fitness and health just wasn't, it wasn't emphasized. We were putting long hours and sometimes long hours was attributed to as an exercise. Well, it wasn't exercise. It was endurance. So super good at endurance. We could put in 20 hours a day and function on caffeine and snacks and just kind of feeding you fuel all day long, but not healthy. And in the time, our downtime, we just didn't, I, I never did just focus on, 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 on exercising and eating right. And I think some of it is just the part of the evolution of understanding nutrition too. I think as a society, we're learning. And I don't think there's an evil out there trying to poison people, but I also think that we learn as we go. I mean, there's things that we did 200 years ago that were probably better for us nutrition-wise than what we've done in the last 40 years because we've had such an access to food. And we have a great access to food and overabundance that we didn't ever, most societies would not attribute that to health issues, having too much food. And that's probably, that's probably historically has never been, well, maybe Romans. Sometimes you hear stories about Romans. They might've had issues with food. Right. right. So, but as that hasn't, and uh, some of the metrics, I think that we were, we were gauged or looking at growing up, it was not probably the ones that we need to be looking at now, especially as l later in my life. So it's been something that's been in the back of my mind for a long time that we really need to get that in front of producers that, that exercise and, and, and health and fitness. In the last two years, I lost a chunk. I was a little bit pudgy there for a while. And I remember one of the things I was, I was reading, I was listening to a podcast and said, you, you will never run weight off if you have a diet issue. You've got to be able to mix both of them together and you, you can't be doing one without the other. So we've got to have them both together. And then producers, as busy as they are and how much stress there is in their life, exercise and, and, and health needs to be a priority. It needs to be right up there on top. So what is it that you do and, and some of the producers that you know that are succeeding in this area? What do you, what do you actually do? In this area, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's a little bit different. But in, for me, uh, I'm most healthy in the coldest months of the year. And that's basically because I can get to the gym. And I got to it, make it a priority to get to the gym and exercise. For me, it's got to be to a gym. I got to be focused, even though it, it shouldn't be that way. That's the way it is. And then when you're not at the gym, when you don't have that time, I, I think that the, the trick is to making sure that you're taking that 15 minutes to a half an hour a day. And it, it, it sounds like you can't do it, but look how many minutes we have in a day. 
So a half an hour should not be the end of the world for us. And I, I know even on where I'm at, I'm different role part in my life now, much more in the office, so to speak. I mean, there are times where I'll go work out at noon just because I know in my mentality, if I wait, wait till I'm done with work, I'll never work out because there's always work there. In the back of my mind, like, oh, you need to get this done. You need to get that done. If I go at noon, then I have the rest of the day. I can work as long as I want to. I got my exercise in. So sometimes picking that time of the day when you can go out and do it and just making it happen, making that half an hour, 45 minutes. And then the next thing, which I'm still struggling, is turn that stupid phone off when you're working out. Just shut it off. Just walk away or at least turn the <laughs> notifications off. And that's, that's still a struggle area I have. It's like, I got to take this call. So I'm getting better. But yes, yeah, still working on it. And what about the diet? You you were doing something fairly specific there for, for diet to achieve the results. Because you lost a lot of weight, hey? I did. And this goes back to me being just a data freak. Tracking what I was eating was a big thing. Using an app, I think, carb app. And that was really good. And the other thing is, okay, this is my family just freaks out because I deathly afraid of needles. I hate needles. I mean, I have a passion. I go in every time and they say they're going to stick me. I, I tell them, you got one shot. You miss. There's not going to be a second shot for that vein. And they laugh. I go, don't laugh. I'm not kidding. <laughs> so I don't like needles. But I was taking my blood to check my, 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 my glucose and my, my ketone levels. And it was really cool. It was really cool to see how it was affecting what I was eating was affecting my glucose and also my ketone. So I was on keto for quite a while. I wouldn't recommend that from everybody. But more than anything, I was really watching my sugars. And really watch it because I was just, you wouldn't think about it, but sugar is in just about everything we eat. And you really got to, if that's something that you need to control, for me, just knocking the sugars out of my diet and really, really helped. And it, it's not a diet. Everybody says, well, you're on a diet. And no, it's not a diet. If you treat it like a diet, it's never going to work. It has to be, it's just, it's just a change the way you're eating. And I was lucky enough, my better half was involved in this too, because I don't think it would have been successful if she was cranking out pastas. And I don't have quite that willpower. <laughs> yeah. Going to the Italian but restaurant even, everything. Even to this day now, it's, it's been about two years and, and I, I don't, I haven't been on keto for quite some time, but I could go back onto it. So a keto diet, so for people who are familiar with that, it basically, it's very low carb. It's like under 25 grams of carbs, which is one glass of orange juice is like 30 grams of carbs. So it's super low. And it's, you replace that with fat. So it's higher fat and not just bacon. I mean, I, Tried that, started out, and I thought, well, this can't be helpful. <laughs> Lance, yeah. let's get real. Other ways you can, there's a lot of good fats out there too. And so it's high fats. So you're replacing your carb energy with ketones through your fats. So works good. For work, good for me. Like I said, I'm not a, not a doctor. I know, I know it's shocked to many of you guys that I'm not a doctor, <laughs> but I am not. You're a doctor of soil. You're a doctor of crops. Let's come on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me, it was really paying attention on what I was eating on the sugars and just tracking, just basic. I mean, just like we, we talk about measure, monitor, manage. Well, that's why am I not doing that for myself? I mean, come on, people. We do this on everything else that we want to do with measure and monitor, but then we're baffled on, you know, if you're putting in 5,000 calories a day and you know, yeah. you're not jogging. So, yeah, it was just part of just understanding what, what I was intaking. Isn't it incredible? I've found anything that you actually start to measure, whether it's money or food going into your mouth or what's going yeah. on with your crops and your soil, just raising your awareness has such a powerful effect. That alone is probably 80% of what you need to get on the right track because anybody who actually measures what they're putting into their mouth 
Yes. It's exhausting and shocking and fraught with all kinds of peril. <laughs> and you're like, what? Like last night I was like, I had a great meal, a very healthy meal, but somebody brought home these like, I don't know, little puffs with like these little pastry puffs with white cream inside of them. I was like, unconsciously, now that I think about it, I ate about 15 of them and everything that I did positive <laughs> before that point went right down the drain. But I mean, if you got to put that in your app, you're like, well, how do I count this? It's it's, it's incredible. So that's that's good that you applied your your scientific rigor to your own personal health so you can live a lot longer and continue doing what you're you're doing in the field for a very long time to come and i've just always really appreciated your approach i really appreciated the conversation with you lance you're a very well-spoken individual and you represent the industry and what you do and your clients i'm sure as well very well so thanks for coming on the show and good work on the summit you're right we don't have the farm forum anymore unfortunately, but there's an important place for events like this. And I'd encourage anybody out there who's listening to this to check it out and take the time to get away, to get into that space and rub shoulders with people like yourself and all these industry folk and academia and other producers. And like you said before the show, the in between the keynotes, the breakout sessions is absolutely invaluable and and crop intelligence is having a similar summit this week in, in Regina, Saskatchewan as well. And it's not a coincidence that a lot of the top producers or soon-to-be top producers are there. That's where they go, and that's how they, that's how they grow their, their vision and learn to execute on that vision. So it's really exciting stuff. Congratulations on starting the podcast as well. I'm sure you're going to be sharing lots of great agronomy information over time there, and I really appreciate the opportunity to have you on the show. So thanks a lot, Lance. Well, thank you for taking the time and having me on. Awesome. You take care. Thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. We really appreciate that you'd spend some of your valuable time with us. We would like to give a shout out to Stephen and Veronica and the whole team at Pod Sound School for their talent and hard work in editing and producing these episodes. Be sure to check them out at www.podsoundschool.com. Also, Nicole Doobie from Eberhard Egg Solutions. Thank you so much. Nicole's really passionate about making these episodes come to life and sharing them with you. Please, let's stay in touch. You can communicate with us on any of the social media platforms. You can also check us out on YouTube. And sign up for our newsletter, growingthefuturepodcast.ca, so you don't miss an episode. Do not forget to check out the Eberhard family of companies online to eberhardfarms.com, suregrowth.ca, convergencegrowth.com, and eberhardeggsolutions.ca. Links are in the episode notes. We would love to hear from you. Reach out and tell us what you like about the show or what we could do to improve upon this. And we will send you some free swag. Until next episode, folks, let's keep it real. Growing the future together. Oh.